Welcome, everybody, at another episode of the Wrestling vs. the World podcast. If you're enjoying your day, sweet. If not, what the hell ever. So, this one is I've had been sitting on lately because by the time this episode comes out, I'm sure it'll already be past Royal Rumble, but around this time, I think there's been rumors that Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens are facing off again at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, and I realize... There have been some instances where we see wrestlers or tag teams go against each other at a specific annual pay-per-view event, and then they have yet another match at the exact same annual pay-per-view event, but years later, or at least in some kind of different year. So, I was going through a lot of matches and everything and pay-per-views, and I decided to find as many examples as I could. Now, like I said, this is going to be a specific annual pay-per-view, so if Two wrestlers win one-on-one at, let's say, a SummerSlam one year, and then they have a match at a different SummerSlam two, the exact same opponents, then this qualifies on the list. Plain and simple. So, let's start right off. Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, first time they win, it happened at Royal Rumble 2017. That was back when Kevin Owens was Universal Champion. No DQ match. Chris Jericho up there in the shark cage, dangling above the ring. And Owens won to retain the championship after Braun Strowman got involved. You fast forward four years... Royal Rumble 2001, Roman Reigns is the Universal Champion, and they had the last man standing match where they botched it because they couldn't get the handcuffs off Roman during part of the match. One of the best known things. Now, one of the other biggest examples. Oh, I can't believe I have to relive this. John Cena and Randy Orton, believe it or not, have two annual pay-per-views where they competed on against each other one-on-one more than once. SummerSlam and Hell in a Cell. For SummerSlam, they faced off at SummerSlam 2007. John Cena, WWE Champion, retaining over Orton. Two years later, Randy Orton at SummerSlam 2009 retains the WWE Championship against Cena after the match got restarted twice because, oh, it's now suddenly no disqualification or no counter or whatever the fuck because Randy was doing the chicken shit heel escape shit for retaining the title. Then you also get to Hell in a Cell 2009. Randy Orton defeats John Cena to regain the WWE Championship after Cena later on no-sold the punt kick. And then five years later, when the whole arcade of nowhere meme was going on, they went one-on-one in Hell in a Cell 2014 to determine who would face Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble 2015 event for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. It was mixed up between Universal and Undisputed, but it was neither of those. It was WWE World Heavyweight Championship. What the fuck ever. Now, speaking of Brock... Next one, Undertaker Brock Lesnar had two matches at No Mercy, 2002-2003. 2002, 2002, well, both instances, Brock was WWE Champion, but 2002, Undertaker had a broken hand going into the match. They had Hell in a Cell. Brock retained against a severely bloody Undertaker. Then the year after, Brock Lesnar retained the WWE Championship again against the Undertaker, but this time in a chain-on-a-pole match, which I do not get the rules saying that whoever retrieves the weapon can use it, but it's like, if the other person uses it who didn't retrieve it, what the fuck does that mean? It's just like, you got the weapon there, you can retrieve it, but it's not really a requirement for a match. Just let them go at it. Now, this one. I got the next three ones that I got here are WrestleMania trilogies. Because this this is the only pay-per-view so far at the time of this recording where we've seen a trilogy of matches happen at WrestleMania. At WrestleMania. And we haven't seen a trilogy of matches on any other annual pay-per-view. So, first one, one of the most infamous ones, Stone Cold and The Rock. WrestleMania's 15, 17, and 19. 15, The Rock WWF Champion, Stone Cold number one contender after Vince surrendered his title shot after winning the Royal Rumble. Stone Cold goes in, stunner, boom, new champion to close off the show. WrestleMania 17, two years later, no disqualification match. Stone Cold becomes champion again by defeating The Rock by selling his soul to the devil, Vince McMahon. 
himself to become WWF Champion. And then WrestleMania 19, the final one-on-one -on -one match between the two. Stone Cold The Rock, this time The Rock is the cocky heel because he's Hollywood Rock. Stone Cold was not, was not at 100%. He had spent the night before in hospital due to health concerns. One-on-one, -on -one, match goes at it. Great match, three rock bottoms, and The Rock finally defeats Stone Cold to get that monkey off his back. So one of the most infamous cases of a WrestleMania trilogy being between two of the top guys in the history of the business, Stone Cold and The Rock. Next trilogy, Triple H, Undertaker, even if WWE doesn't want to acknowledge this. WrestleMania 17, 27, and 28. 17, Triple H was declaring that he had beaten everybody that there is to beat. The Undertaker is like, you've never beaten me, and I'll make your ass famous. One on one, match was great. Undertaker defeated Triple H to go 9-0 at WrestleMania. Fast forward a decade. Undertaker comes back after being sidelined with a, uh, it was either a collarbone or a rotator cuff injury around the time of the bragging rights pay-per-view where he lost the buried alive match to Kane. He's back from the because of the vignettes that were airing that were supposed to be for Sting, but Sting stayed with TNA, so this was a return for The Undertaker. Triple H returned that exact same night, steer down, WrestleMania match happens, no holds barred. Undertaker, Undertaker gets a submission victory, but he had to get carted out afterwards because he couldn't even stand on his own two feet. Then the year afterwards, they play off the finish from 27. They finally get the mat rematch set up for 28. Hell in a Cell. Shawn Michaels is a special guest referee. Undertaker gets Tombstone at the end to go 19-0. No, sorry, 20-0. At WrestleMania, end of an era, which it really wasn't. But another good case of a WrestleMania trilogy, and all three matches were anywhere between great to amazing. Love that part. Now WrestleMania trilogy, I bet everybody wants to forget. Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar. WrestleMania's 31, 34, and 38. 31, people were not psyched about because people were so hyped up about Daniel Bryan wanting to see him get a big moment and have a proper conclusion this time because the year prior, unfortunately, he lost all that because of injury. So instead, we got Roman Brock pissed off the fans. You have the awkward tug-of-war segment over the bell like two kids are fighting over it. One-on-one, -on -one, this match was actually better than expected and it was the infamous phrase that got started here on this night saying, Zuplex City, bitch. But then we remember that Seth Rollins cashed in as part of the match, got entered. Curb stomped Roman, new champion, so heist of the century. Three years later, WrestleMania 34, this time Brock is the universal champion, going one against Roman, and this match sucked. I mean, yeah, Roman got busted open hard way, but it took six F5s to defeat Roman. And you would have thought he was going to win because that was the initial plan because the Roman looked like he was pissed off and had a new surge of energy after being busted open. But then Vince is like, nah, damn it, pal. We can't have this. So he had Brock retain. And then, of course, when Brock got through gorilla position, he threw the fucking belt at Vince. Asshole! Then four years later after that, WrestleMania 38, Roman, Universal Champion, Brock, WWE Champion. Both men colliding one-on-one -on -one to unify, well, quote-unquote, unify championships and after kind of a flat finish probably because roman legitimately had his shoulder injured while being in the corner lock he avoided the f5 spear undisputed champion of sorts undisputed wwe universal champion whatever the fuck they're calling it all right it just like the titles are not really unified but it's like wwe universal champion or some fucking name like that i don't care now you get to one this series, these two that I'm bringing up next, this is one I'm bringing up next, these two have gone one-on-one -on -one way too many times at WWE. Rey Mysterio, Chavo Guerrero. Yes, I get it, they have great chemistry, but how many times can you see two people go one-on-one -on -one before you get tired of it? People complain about Cena Orton, but Rey Chavo having a lot too. Because these two went one-on-one -on -one at both SummerSlam 2006 and 2007. 
because 2006, this was around the time that they were turning Vicky Guerrero heel after Chavo had already turned heel the pay-per-view prior to Great American Bash by costing Ray the World Heavyweight title. These two had the match. I think Chavo won. It, yeah, I think it was Chavo because of Vicky. Then the year afterwards, Ray is back after losing the I Quit match against uh, Chavo on an episode of SmackDown. He's back. He's covered in gray jizz or silver jizz or whatever the fuck. And he beats Chavo here. This was restarting their feud and all that crap. I did not care because, again, it's having enough. Now, one that people probably don't remember. John Cena, JBL. We saw it at Judgment Day 2005 and 2008. Because 2005 was their infamously and severely bloody I Quit match, which helped solidify John Cena as a legit main eventer. Cena won after threatening to smash JBL with one of those big fucking tube pipes or whatever. I think that after destroying his limo, they... It was somewhere on this little stage entrance that he did. And Cena won to retain the championship, and he still bashed JBL with the pipe anyway. Three years later, after they restarted their feud because of how the Backlash Fatal 4-Way Elimination match happened at the preview, these two won one-on-one in the opener of the show. And, of course, Cena won. What the fuck ever. Uh, now this one. These two did not have... These two could put on a good match, but they never told a story together. Randy Orton and Sheamus went one-on-one at both SummerSlam 2010 and 2015. The only difference is 2010 had the WWE Championship on the line, and 2015, Sheamus had a Mohawk. Yeah, I don't remember either match, and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Moving on. Now, this one, it feels like a slight cop-out because there was the in-your-house moniker for the first one, but it's still fully loaded regardless. Triple H Rock. Fully Loaded 98 slash Fully Loaded In Your House, depending on what you prefer to call it, and as well as Fully Loaded 99. With the 98 pay-per-view, both men were going in a 2 or 3 falls match for the Intercontinental Championship, which The Rock was holding at this time, and the match ended in a one-on-one tie draw because both men had one fall apiece, and then Triple H tried to get the pin at the end, but the time limit expires till The Rock retained the championship. Fast forward a year later, Fully Loaded 99, we're having the Fully Loaded Strap match between the two, which Triple H would win, which would initially grant him a one-on-one WWF Championship match against Stone Cold Steve Austin at SummerSlam, which was the original plan, but then they kept jumbling around with whatever the fuck they decided to do for SummerSlam involving China and Mankind and Triple H, so they fumbled it around. But yeah, two consecutive fully loaded pay-per-views, Dota 3 Falls match, Strap match, yeah, that's it. Uh, the next one, Bret Hart Yokozuna, we saw it at both WrestleManias 9 and 10. With 9, Brett was going in as champion. Yokozuna got the title shot from winning the Royal Rumble match. First time the Royal Rumble match stipulation kicked in a plague back in 93. And while Brett had the sharpshooter on Yokozuna, Mr. Fuji grabbed Saul, threw into Brett's eye. Yokozuna got out of the hold, and he pinned Brett to become champion. Now you fast forward a year. After Yokozuna had been champion again since King of the Ring by defeating Hogan, he was putting the title shot title on the line at two matches that night at WrestleMania. First, he retained the championship via disqualification against Lex Luger because Luger put his hands on Mr. Perfect, who was the referee. And then later on, he went up in the main event against Brett again. And this time, after Yokozuna lost his balance, getting ready to do the bonsai drop, Brett capitalized, pin, boom, new champion. Great celebration there at the end, though. Next one, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. WrestleMania's 3 and 4. WrestleMania 3 being one of the biggest main events in history really helped sell out the Superdome. Or is it Silverdome? Correct me on that one, Hogan. Which is it? But they're in the Pontiac Silverdome. One of the biggest matches of all time. Hogan with the big slam on Andre, who on screen was being advertised as being undefeated for 15 years, which was a fucking lie. But he slammed Hogan, Andre the Giant. 
leg drop, and pin him, and that was it. Even though Hogan tries to say, oh, after this, Andre died. No, Andre died six years later, Hogan. You don't know fucking time. But then the next year, both men were going one-on-one in the tournament to determine who was going to win the vacant WWF Championship after it had been vacated about a month or two prior on the episode of the main event in February because of whole scrolly finish. We all know what I'm talking about there. And both men went up getting a double disqualification, which did not make sense. It's like you disqualify whoever the first fuck used the weapon first. I believe it was Hogan who used it first, because then afterwards Andre Reed retaliated with a chair shot of his own, which, bing, bounced off Hogan's head. But they had a, it's double disqualification. No, you disqualify whoever the first person was to use the weapon. Hogan got disqualified, and it said they made a finish that didn't really make sense. But anyway, two back-to-back WrestleManias, one for a title, one for in the tournament, whatever the fuck. Next one, one of my personal favorites. Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, WrestleMania 25 and 26. 25, Shawn Michaels got the shot against The Undertaker after ending Vladimir Kozlov's undefeated streak. Brought the history saying that The Undertaker had never been Shawn Michaels one-on-one, which is technically true. Both men had a classic match for 25. Undertaker wins, I believe he was 17-0, no, 16-0, something like that. I, yeah, I think it was 16. I can't fucking remember. There were so many matches. But The Undertaker won, and then the next year, Shawn Michaels had an obsession after winning the Slammy Award for Match of the Year for 2009. Wanted a rematch to defeat The Undertaker. Undertaker said no, and Shawn Michaels just let his obsession drive him to do any means to get that shot, and he finally got it. But this time, it was Streak versus Career at 26, and The Undertaker once again won, and it ended Shawn Michaels' active in-ring career, because, of course, he had the other one-off match in 2018, which I... So glad I have not watched this day because of all the horror stories I've heard about it. But yeah, WrestleMania's 25 and 26, Shawn Undertaker, classic matches. Now, one of the only other instances where we saw Undertaker take on somebody at more than one WrestleMania, Kane. WrestleMania's 14 and 20, 14 the whole story of Kane coming in wanting revenge on his brother for killing their family in the fire when they were kids, and Undertaker kept refusing to fight his own flesh and blood. But after Kane tried to kill him with a fire inside a casket, Undertaker's like... Fuck this, I will fight my brother. So they went one-on-one, Kane was still kept strong, narrowly surviving two tombstone pile drivers, and just barely kicking out after the third one, so Undertaker defeats his brother. Fast forward about six years, Kane had buried The Undertaker alive at Survivor Series in his Buried Alive match against Vincent Kennedy McMahon, damn it pal, and then he declared, oh, The Undertaker's dead, and he attacked his brother because he decided to be too human. It's like, dude, he had been this whole human form for three and a half years. What took you so fucking long? But then Undertaker decided to come back as his dead man persona, even though he w- in real life he was kind of mixed between which gimmick he wanted to probably come back as. So they had a bit of a hybrid look for him. But he came back, drone, the druids are there, Paul Bear is there, the torches, Undertaker comes down, beats Kane, sloppy match, but still, the return of the dead man. Love it. Now, one of the only cases that I can find where... I have on this list that's not about one-on-one matches. Instead, it's triple threat tag team matches. Hardy Boys, Dudley Boys, Edge, and Christian. WrestleMania 2000 slash 16. And WrestleMania 17. 16, I'll I'll just refer to 16 because when I say WrestleMania 2000, I think more of the video game rather than the pay-per-view when I go by that title. But WrestleMania 16, the triangle ladder match, really one of the greatest matches of all time. Really helped, really gave that big boot in the fucking ass that the tag division needed at this point. Yeah, the tag team ladder match for New Brood slash Hardy Boys against Edge and Christian at No Mercy really got that ball rolling, but this was the shot in the arm that the tag division needed. 
tag titles on the line because of the Dudley Boys being as champions. Edge and Christian win the championships after they shove Matt Hardy off of a table that was used as a bridge between two ladders, and we got new tag team champions. Fast forward a year later, I believe it was the same case, either that or Edge and Christian were the tag team champions. It, the tag team titles were flip-flopping a lot in the Attitude Era, but WrestleMania 17, same three tag teams going against each other, this time TLC this one being TLC2, because the first one happened at SummerSlam, but second TLC match, Edge and Christian win this match, walk out as tag team champions. One of the greatest tag team, also one of the other greatest tag team matches of all time. Now, ones that people probably don't remember due to how long ago this was, Ultimate Warrior, Rick Rude, SummerSlam's 89 and 90. Now, 89, I honestly feel, is a hidden gem of a match. Rude had been Intercontinental Champion since he sneakily won away the championship from Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania 5. Because he tried, Warrior tried suplexing Rick Root off the apron into the ring. He then pulled on Warrior's leg, tripped him up, held his leg down. Warrior couldn't kick out. So Root had been champion. And this match was actually pretty damn good at SummerSlam 89 between the two. Warrior would regain the championship. And then you go fast forwarding the year later. Steel Cage match, Ultimate Warrior, Rick Root. But this time the WWF championship is on the line. And Warrior wins to retain this championship. Not as good as their match the year prior, but... Still kind of notable. Now, one of the infamous cases here because of the latter of the two matches. Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Survivor Series 92, and Survivor Series 97. I'm going to breeze through the 97 part when I get to that because this topic has been covered to death at this fucking point. 92, the match buildup was kind of getting jumbled a little bit because of real-life issues, because of Bulldog getting fired and all that shit, but it was Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart for the WWF Championship. Shawn had... Sherry in his corner, and that was it. Then Sherry got taken away because of a mirror that broke over her head, and then Sean walked in as Intercontinental Champion because he won the title from Bulldog, who got fired. So now it was Intercontinental Champion versus WWF Champion with the WWF title on the line, and Brett won to retain his championship over Sean. Five years later, Montreal Screwjob. Sean wins. Next. Now, the next example I can give, King of the Ring this time is on the list. And I might be missing some King of the Ring matches from all this, because I know there were some tournament matches, but I, those are too many matches that are just thrown together. I'm not going to bother covering any possible tournament matches that happened more than once. But Mankind and The Undertaker, King of the Ring 96 and 98. Now, 96, I believe, was their first one-on-one pay-per-view encounter, because I know they had the In Your House Buried Alive pay-per-view match and then later on Survivor Series. And Mankind surprisingly got the win over The Undertaker by making him pass out to the Mandible Claw member certain right at 96. But then you fast forward two years later. Hell in a Cell. Undertaker wins. Come couple of the most scary and vicious bumps you'll ever see in wrestling history. Fantastic match for Hell in a Cell. Now the next one. Finn Balor, Bray Wyatt. Even though there might be a mix of personas there, but still... The initial characters are still the same two men, Finn Balor, Bray Wyatt, from SummerSlam's 2017 and 2019. I believe 2017 was when Bray, or Finn, brought the Demon character back. He might have or not. I know they were planning to do that for TLC, but Finn got the win at SummerSlam 2017, and then you fast forward two years later to SummerSlam 2019, the debut of the Fiend character. Finally putting the end to fans constantly being like, Finn Balor's getting buried up! Like, all that crap. It took for The Fiend to squash when her fans finally let up on all that shit. And The Fiend won the rematch here in 2019. So thank you, Fiend. Next example. One match being re being reviled and another match being revered for its whole redemption arc. Goldberg, Brock, WrestleMania 20-33. 
20, both men were leaving the company. Stone Cold's special guest referee. Fans found out. They shit on it. They're like, eh, fuck you guys. You're leaving. Fuck off. Goldberg got the win in a god-awful match because they didn't bother trying. It's like, hey, why bother? Fans are shitting on us anyway. Let's give them shit. So Goldberg won. Both men got stunned on their way out of the company. Brock wouldn't return for another eight years, and Goldberg would not return until 2016. I mean, yeah, Brock had tried to get some mad, had some matches over New Japan, but in terms of being in WWE, that was it for both of them for a little while. Then you fast forward 13 years ish. I mean, Goldberg finally came back 2016. He squashed Brock at Survivor Series, made him look foolish by with the way he eliminated him at the Royal Rumble match, and then Goldberg goes into WrestleMania 33 as Universal Champion because he has to squash Kevin Owens, and then fans get pissed off about it. Get over it, people. It's wrestling. So now, Goldberg, Brock, but fans are booing Goldberg into this match and cheering Brock, and this match was far better than their WrestleMania 20 match because even though it was the same title shit of... Suplex City and Goldberg just doing spears and jackhammers. At least they tried compared to 13 years prior. And Brock got the win to finally get his win back over Goldberg after all this time. Whoopee. Next example. John Cena, Alberto Del Rio. Hell in a Cell 2013 and 2015. Two different cases here because in 2013, John Cena was returning at the pay-per-view after being away since the night after SummerSlam because of a partially torn triceps injury. Came back. Del Rio was World Heavyweight Champion. Cena got the title shot just because, and he defeats Alberto Del Rio to become World Heavyweight Champion, and he also retained at the rematch later on in Survivor Series. Now you fast forward to 2015. John Cena was doing the whole U.S. Open Challenge. Whoever wants to come out, I've got a mystery opponent, go ahead and come face me. And then out comes Mr. Dutch... Uh, what was his name? I know it's Dutch Mantel. Uh, Seth Coulter. That's who it was. I keep remembering his... Other names that people remember him, like Dutch Mantel and Uncle Zebekiah. But he's coming around on the hover-around scooter, probably not the same kind that uh, John Laryngitis rode around on. And he's like, oh, you've got an opponent, Alberto Del Rio. So the start of Mexican America, Del Rio with a small super kick at the end, becomes new United States champion. So two of them, back-to-back, well, ish. Two different titles. I mean, they had good chemistry. Now the next one, I'm kind of putting this in... Even though the initial origin tagline here is not the same for the first match, or, yeah, the first pay-per-view match, but the tagline that you got at the end and the kind of fact that there can, it's two pay-per-views with continuity here. Ez Batista. They had a match at Vengeance Night of Champions 2007 and then Night of Champions 2008. I'm kind of counting this because the general consensus I'm seeing based on research is that they still count this as well as a Knight of... Uh, one part as a Vengeance pay-per-view and another part as a Knight of Champions event. So they kind of have that continuity there. So that's why I'm kind of counting it there. If there was another Vengeance one between these two, I would count it. But you have Vengeance Knight of Champions 2007 and the Knight of Champions 2008. Just roll with it. Just roll with it. So 2007, one on one, both matches are for World Heavyweight Championship. And Edge ends up retaining both times. In fact, I believe 2008 was the last chance stipulation where Batista lost via countout so he couldn't challenge Edge for the championship again, but then the next night he attacks the fuck out of Edge and then CM Punk cashes in. I mean, these two kind of worked. I mean, it was either the 2007 or 2008 event where Batista actually slammed Edge on the floor with a Batista bomb. I remember that. I remember that. Now, only three more listings here and there's also an honorable mention which you'll understand why when i get to it next one batista versus triple h wrestlemania is 21 and 35 maybe i'll talk about the 
21-ish one for a separate video for Batista, but Batista left Evolution after winning the Royal Rumble match because Evolution was trying to manipulate him and everything and all that shit, and they thought he was stupid. So Batista challenges Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship WrestleMania 21 in the main event, and we get a new top guy, well, main event guy, I would say top guy, but Cena became the top guy, but still one of the new top guys in the company, and he would also retain the championship over Triple H in the next two pay-per-views, Backlash and Vengeance. Fast forward 14 years, Batista comes back because he wants to retire, and in reality, he wants to retire in WWE and give back to the guy that made him a household name, and that was Triple H. Because then he was attacking Ric Flair backstage and everything like that. He's like, hey, Hunter, do I have your attention now? Huh? And he wants a match. He's like, give me what I want. Give me what I want. Because Batista forgot his fucking lines. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So they have a one-on-one match later on at WrestleMania 35. No holds barred. And they did not advertise this as Batista's last match. He would announce it on social media afterwards. And they repeated some spots that you remember from the WrestleMania. Vengeance Hell in a Cell match from 2005, following stuff like a chain and sledgehammer and still steps, so nice throwback there. And Triple H got his win back over Batista, which is finally the first time Triple H beat Batista one on one. Yay! Next one. One of these was impromptu, and the other one was pre scheduled Chris Jericho versus X Pac. Unforgiven 1999 and 2000. And un- Unforgiven 1999, Jericho was initially going to go one on one against Ken Shamrock, as mentioned three parts special on this podcast. But Ken Shamrock left the company right beforehand. There were mixed reports on what happened. So then, at, on the day of the pay-per-view, during Heat, Chris Jericho just attacked X-Pac backstage. It was announced, okay, fine, X-Pac, you're going to be Jericho's opponent on the show. And I believe Jericho won. I can't remember because I, I don't remember this match. But you fast-forward a year later, 2000, Jericho, X-Pac. And again, I don't remember this match either. I think Jericho might have won this one as well. I know they... Had a couple other matches after this, including a first blood match on Raw and the Steel Cage match in No Mercy. But I don't remember these matches, but like I said, the Unforgiven 99 match was impromptu and 2000 was pre-scheduled, so whatever. Now the last solid entry on this list, before I get to the honorable mention, this one is one of the most infamous cases. John Cena versus The Rock, 28 and 29 WrestleMania. Once in a lifetime and twice in a lifetime, which really doomed them both. 28, it became it was a big dream match between these two. It had been fueled around since The Rock came back before WrestleMania 27 to be the guest host of WrestleMania. Cena even attacked The Rock in the Raw before with the FU, or should I just... They call it the FU or the AA, I'm just going to call it the fuck you. Gave him the whole fuck you. So he did it to The Rock. The Rock later on interfered in the main event after restarting it because it didn't via countout. So no DQ, no countout. Lays Cena out with the rock bottom, the Miz retains, and then the next night they announce, hey, WrestleMania 28, you and I are going to go one-on-one. And they kept having times where they would build up the match to keep intrigue going, and it really worked. Both men went one-on-one at WrestleMania 28, and Cena lost after the rock stopped him from stealing the people's elbow. Him with the rock bottom, that's it, clean finish. Then you fast-forward the next year. Cena wins the Royal Rumble match. Chooses The Rock as the person he was going up against after The Rock had been WWE Champion since that very same night by dethroning CM Punk. So, twice in a lifetime for WrestleMania. And these two really seemed lost in what they could do because it was just a constant barrage of finishers, reversing finishers, stolen finishers. The only good moment out of this match was Cena kind of playing into the story, making The Rock think he was going to fall for the same trick mistake twice by pretending to get ready to go for the people's elbow, but he stayed on the rope. He's like, ah, you can't see me, fuck off. But this time Cena won, and the w- he won the WWE Championship again, it's whatever. 
Nobody wants to remember that latter of the two matches. Now, the honorable mention I will add here is just for a reason. Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. The reason I'm adding this as an honorable mention is because they had the pre-scheduled match at Money in the Bank 2015 when Rollins was WWE Champion. I believe it was a ladder match. And it seemed like Dean had possibly won it, but Seth eventually walks out with the championship. I know they were doing this whole Dusty finish for one of the peer reviews after Dusty Rhodes passed away where Ambrose kept running around with a belt and shit like that. But I know Seth was still champion by the end of Money Bank 2015. But then you fast forward a year, they technically had a match in Money in the Bank 2016, but that was just because the 2016 match was Dean Ambrose catching in his Money in the Bank briefcase. Just run in, dirty deeds, oh, that's it, new champion. So I give it an honorable mention just because it's kind of iffy due to just the fact that, yeah, it was a match the next year, but it was just a brief one just because of the sudden cash-in. It's just like, that's up for debate. But anyway, that's pretty much everything, folks. All these different instances where wrestlers competed against each other at one specific annual pay-per-view one year and then did later on in another year. So, if there are any examples that people can think of that I did not cover in this episode, please let me know in the comment section below, because I think I got just about everything. And like I said, around this time is when Royal Rumble's happening, and if it's true that Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns are happening at this year's Royal Rumble pay-per-view, it'll be the only time in WWE history where we see a trilogy of matches happen between two wrestlers at a pay-per-view other than WrestleMania. Because I couldn't find any other examples throughout the years. So anyway, let me know what you all thought in the comment section below. If you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, please remember, leave a like, subscribe with the bell, turn on if you're listening to this on YouTube, or follow if you're listening to this on any other service that this podcast can be found upon. And I'll catch you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe. Peace out, and good day, everybody.